0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Paperback with Mac. This is Mackenzie Stevens, and you're listening to episode two. Joining me today will be two amazing women who work or have worked in the field of education. They both offer unique perspectives when thinking about today's book, Educated by Tara Westover. For those of you who haven't read Educated, It's a memoir about Tara Westover's journey beginning in a fundamentalist home into her branching out and eventually receiving her PhD. Along the way she struggles to make sense of both aspects of her life, her family and her education. I thought this memoir would be perfect to feature for the Social Justice and Education series because although it never explicitly mentions issues within education and students lives outside of schooling, There is a lot to pull from Tara's experience. So, with that being said, let's get right into the episode. All right. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing well. (laughs) Good. Thank you? you. I'm doing good. So just to get started, I'm going to ask you guys just to introduce yourselves and give a little brief explanation of your background with education.
1: I'll go ahead and go. Um, My name is Elizabeth Sotiropoulos, and I am connected to um, public education in a couple of different ways, but I would say my main ones are, I am a uh, member of the Board of Education for Champaign Unit 4. Um, I also own a tutoring business. I've owned that for 10 years. So I myself teach math and science um, and my employees also work with students um, primarily in middle and high school in math, science, and test prep, and also academic coaching. And then I have um, two children who are in public school right now, I have a kindergartner and a third grader.
2: Okay. Hi. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm Tina Hubrey, and I have been in education for, I'd say about 15, 18 years. Um, I started out as a social studies teacher in Champaign schools, actually, and taught their sixth grade social studies for five years and then took some uh, time out of the classroom, but continued to work in education, doing some curriculum development for after-school program, started a PhD program and worked with pre-service teachers, and then kind of got the bug and realized I didn't want to be doing the PhD. I wanted to get back in the classroom. So um, the previous three years, I was teaching sixth grade social studies at Urbana Middle School, Um, not on the board, had a lot of involvement with board activities and, I've always kind of had a theme of social justice and racial equity through my educational career. um, And that really came to a nice big head in my last three years of teaching. And so right now I'm out of the classroom. I'm starting a holistic healing program. Um, I'm an educational consultant for a public charter school serving um, disenfranchised kids in San Antonio, Texas actually. And then I also work with youth and other individuals doing some like self-empowerment coaching and now i'm here
0: awesome so i know like with your guys's backgrounds educated is definitely a book that you might have a lot to talk about and think about but with all of that aside what would you guys rate the memoir and why and then what is there any specific type of people you might recommend it to
1: so how I would rate the memoir, I suppose I would give it a 9 out of 10, maybe even a 9.5 out of 10. It's really, really hard for me to give a perfect score to anything. Um, but it was very, very good. I think that, so who would I recommend this memoir for? Really anyone. Um, I think that it's a um, very helpful story for people who, um May have, you know, been outside of public education, like the the uh, Westover family was. I think it's also a a story of hope and a reminder that uh, many of our students and possibly even ourselves have experienced horrible adversities in life. Um, But that was just the reality that we grew up in or other people grew up in. And I think the better that we can understand that, the better we can relate with each other and um, advocate for better policies uh, within the realm of public education.
2: Yeah, I would would super echo what Elizabeth was saying. And I'm kind of the opposite. I'll easily rate things really high, but then I'll like go over the 10. (laughs) It was the perfect score. I loved it. I was so impressed with... um, with the whole entire story. And and even outside of thinking about education, just thinking about family of origin and where we come from and how that affects us and our perspectives on things and how, and I love Elizabeth said, it's a story of hope and it totally is. And I know it gave me hope even, you know? And so thinking about how everybody's story is different and that impacts the future and like where we go. And so I would absolutely recommend it to anybody. In fact, I kind of did afterwards. And then going back and listening to parts of it before this podcast um, was also really interesting. So
0: I mm-hmm. loved it. Yeah, I also read it uh, maybe a year or two ago. And going back and listening to it again through um, an audiobook, it was just like, I didn't even realize how awesome this book is, especially after... Um, my experience in school the past year and a half with the education classes I'm taking. It's just like, there's so many things I wouldn't have even thought about after reading it again. It's just awesome. Um, And then going off of that, um, is there anything that the memoir made you think about or like you might have learned from it? I know we'll talk a little bit more deeply about it later, but just like brief things that you took away from it.
2: For me, I kind of... um actually took away more of the personal story the first time I read it um, and really it was impressive to hear about how important schooling was to somebody who was outside of the schooling system the the sort of mainstream societal schooling system um, because I have this, a tendency to think you know maybe we need to get outside the schooling system a little bit and so it was really cool to see her story and what made that so impactful that was One of the biggest things for me.
1: And for myself, there were two big themes I would say that I took from the book. So one theme is trust in institutions, so trust in public schooling. Um, The Westover family did not have trust in public schools, that's why they kept their kids out of them. Um, They also as a whole did not trust many institutions at all in our society, Um, and that led them to live such a secluded life, which Um, It makes sense if you don't trust that you will be safe in, you know, public and receiving the services that you need, you're going to distance yourself from those services. Um, But the consequences to that are catastrophic, as we saw in the book. And then another main theme is, it related with me more on a personal level, which is when you go through or when our students go through trauma in their lives, Um, They might not recognize it right away as, oh, this traumatic thing happened to me. And so now I, you know, need to seek out maybe counseling or therapy or something. It's just their life and it's their reality. And Tara often talked about how some parts of her life didn't even seem that strange, like the smell in her house and the mess in her house didn't seem strange until someone from the outside pointed it out. And it took her some time to go through different phases of coming to accepting her childhood and accepting that she did not want to live in that environment as an adult. Um, But that it took her time to recognize that her story was valid, and she needed help. And um, at the same time, her story is a very valid part of who she is. So while she did need help, she also had the strength within herself to seek out that help and to move on in life and be able to accomplish what she wanted to do, Mm -hmm. and she was able to accomplish that through education.
2: So going off of what Elizabeth just said, I think also what was really hard for me to grapple with, but um, a really important thing for me to remember was that there's this need for balance, Mm -hmm. and so the idea of not trusting the institutions and wanting to protect people from something that you don't trust, you know, There's an extent to which that can be helpful not necessarily not trusting but just believing in your own your own way like right not having to follow along with the mainstream or the or the societal expectations but that there's a balance between that and what we see with the Westover family and taking that to a total extreme and to her parents It was also justify or excuse their behavior, their choices, but also seeing that that was their perspective, that was their reality. And then again, the consequences being catastrophic for their kids because there wasn't that balance. It was okay. It was, Mm -hmm. it was protective and it's not to.
0: Yeah. So kind of going off of that then, um, considering the idea of like schooling and education, um, knowing that Tara's family didn't believe in public education and therefore refused to enroll their children in it. Um, What are the pros and cons? Tina, I know you have a little more experience with this. Um, What are the pros and cons of, you know, both schooling and education in their own sense? And then how might parents who decide to homeschool their children prepare to take on that kind of responsibility?
2: Yeah, again, it's all about balance in my perspective. you know, the former education system is, can be incredibly strong and powerful and necessary. And it really does depend, I think, on who who people are, where people are coming from. Um, and in, in my opinion, without getting too deep into it, I think that the idea of public education and the, you know, education system in this country is amazing and powerful, but I don't I don't personally believe it's being executed in a way that is empowering or dare I even say appropriate. Like, I think that there's a lot of flaws, but I think that the idea behind it is really crucial. And so I can see, you know, people, I can see completely a number of different perspectives. If somebody wanted to pursue homeschooling, I would just hope that it was in the best interest of the kids, of the of the children, and that their intentions were such that the child is being benefited and that the child is growing, that there's growth happening. And so even if you don't necessarily trust the education system, I would hope that people who are pursuing homeschooling would come from the perspective not of because I don't like the public school system, but rather this is what I think is best for my child. And I think that got tangled with the Westover family is that they, they weren't necessarily thinking about what was best for their children. They were thinking what they were against, what they, they were fighting against.
0: Um, and then kind of still thinking about schooling and education, um, as I read Educated, Um, I found a lot of instances where as she went through school she learned a lot of things that helped her make sense of her life on Bucks Peak and at home, so it prompted me to question how could education function together with schooling to enable a student to thrive better um, in their educational experience overall, so my question would be in both of your opinions, how might schooling and education coexist to support a student throughout their educational experiences and then also in their lives in general? So,
1: while education can take place anywhere, schooling is the more, at least in my opinion and in my view, schooling is the more institutionalized form of education. So, kids, you know, get on a school bus or they're dropped off. Um, at the circle drive and then they go into this building where then they go into their classrooms. And then with this group of kids, they are somehow learning some content. And that part of education is really important because students learn that, you know, sure they might be able to learn a math concept in a small fraction of the time if they were um, going through this process of learning outside of the classroom. But learning this concept with a group of students who some may be very similar to you and some may be very very different—that social learning is um, a huge part of the process of education, in my opinion. Watching and understanding how other how your other peers learn is 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 really important. is a really important part to development. I think.
2: Yeah, and I would I would piggyback off of that and say that schooling or like schools and families and community can work together to help kids thrive by really understanding the importance of that social curriculum that Elizabeth was talking about and understanding that that is just as, if not maybe even more important than the content that kids are learning in school and allowing, allowing that social curriculum and that, that aspect of learning to really equal and stand up with the curriculum, the content curriculum. Um, I would never call for less content rigor or, you know, something, quote, unquote, easier for kids. I think that that is a terrible idea, right? Because we need to hold our kids up to an expectation because we believe in them. But I think that right now we're not holding up that social curriculum as much as it could be, because we're sacrificing some of that for the content curriculum. And so I would love to see schools and families kind of joined together with the understanding that that social curriculum, what's what Elizabeth was talking about, is why they're sending their kids to school. And, and that that's where so much of youth growing can happen. That's where, that's where the growth really happens.
0: Mm-hmm. And then do you maybe like have any ideas of how either parents at home or teachers could integrate that more into their classrooms?
2: I think it's a systematic thing. Um, You know, I think some families do a great job and some families struggle with that. And that's just because of the position they're coming from. Like, and so I really think it's more up to the institution, to be honest. And I think it's more up to the societal expectations of what is schooling? Why are we sending our, our kids to school? And bringing that into the structure of school, the structure of curriculum, the you know, the implementation of how the kids' day goes, where the where the values lie on, you know, grades versus interaction. And so I think that because families are in their own positions, right? Like, and I don't think that it would be fair to put that on the shoulders of families because there are too many families who are not in a position to make the choice and decide how to approach things that aren't meeting their basic needs, which is what they're focused on, right? Tina
1: can say so much more than I can as far as, you know, what what has she learned, you know, in in her own education and in, in her experiences in the classroom, um, but I can speak to my own process of coming to understand this um, just a few months ago um, when it became clear that, um, over the summer, I mean, when it became clear that our kids would not be going back to school this year, so we needed to come up with some kind of plan. Sure, they would be doing you know, remote school of some sort, but how would our family be able to supplement that experience? Um, and so some factors we were considering with um, helping our kids not just learn you know, reading and math and whatever their teachers would be teaching them through Zoom, um, but how would they still be relating with their classmates? Um, how would they form friendships? And so, um, for us, what we learned and what we placed value on was um, ensuring that our kids were um, had regular opportunities to be around other uh, other kids, kids their age, um, and development developmental level, um, making sure they had opportunities to be with those kids in a structured setting and then also in in a non-structured setting. So for a few months before we all basically had to be locked down again, um, we were doing a type of learning pod a couple days a week with a few other families. Um, And our kids come from all different backgrounds and um, all different gender identities and, and so on. Um, so our kids would all get together and while socially distanced, we would have some sort of lesson where they were able to, you know, learn on their own and also learn with other kids. So like project-based learning, um, and then also just have some unstructured time to play with each other and, you know, develop communication skills and, you know, occasionally argue over something and have to learn how to, how to deal with that. Um, And so I wouldn't say we did it perfectly, but I would say that what we tried to do um, and what ultimately happened over the course of a few months, um, we learned how important that is for kids to be around other kids, uh, especially ones that you know, their family dynamic might be different. Um, Their problem solving strategies, like are we gonna talk this out? Are we gonna, you know, fight with each other about it? It's really important for students to have those opportunities so that they can practice and learn how to be around others. So while parents who might, you know, be teaching their kids at home or in some other setting outside of school, the math and the reading and the science, this is very, very important but giving kids the opportunity in structured and unstructured settings um, to practice that social learning um, is really important.
0: Yeah. And I think going off of that person, like I feel personally that it's even more important for younger students because students my age or in high school already have, you know, the experience they did with that kind of thing in elementary and middle school. So when that opportunity is taken away from elementary students and younger, That's ju- it, just, it really concerned me in the beginning of the entire uh, COVID-19 pandemic thinking about going online to school. That was the first question I asked. I was like, well, how are younger students going to learn how to be social human beings and interact with one another? So I really appreciate that perspective. Um, so keeping thriving in mind I know um, a lot throughout the memoir, we see Tara's brother Sean and her father verbally, physically, emotionally abuse her in a plethora of ways. Um, So these instances, we kind of talked about this a little bit, Elizabeth, uh, contributed a lot to trauma Tara experienced. So with the background that you talked about in um, epigenetics, How can this be applied to education and what experiences with trauma um, do to affect educational experience?
1: So I think that anyone who works with children, whether they're working in an educational setting or they're working with children in some other way, have to understand that children who experience trauma, they're... While their DNA does not change, um, how their how parts of their DNA are going to be expressed um, can change. And so this can lead to stress dysregulation. So, you know, before children are born and even and especially in their first few years of life, um, when stressful things happen, like the abuse that we saw in educated um, and severe um, physical and emotional neglect. This can permanently or nearly permanently alter how children engage with the world, um, how they grow up, and you know what happens down the line. When I think of board meetings and talking with you know parents in the community, people who work in schools and everyone all across the spectrum, when we talk about trauma, and how it impacts kids and you know what we can do, what, what educators can do in the classroom to work with kids who um, have experienced trauma. I think that we have to completely rethink how we work with students and what our expectations are. So for example, maybe some people really value having a calmer, quieter classroom and they will try to help their students learn how to be know calmer and how to handle conflict um more quietly and peacefully because we value a calm quiet classroom um but students who um, have experienced these traumas um you know before they were born or a few years afterwards might not may physically not be able to be Calm and quiet. The trauma they experience has changed how their body and brain are going to engage in everyday activities. Our current educational system is not designed for this. It is designed for the student who, you know, has been able to thrive well at home and who hasn't had to live through trauma. Um, so, understanding the limitations of what we can actually do in a classroom and understanding the limitations of what um, many students who have experienced adversity um, as infants and children, um, I think can can help us better serve these students and as a whole create better school settings.
0: And then Later on in the memoir, Tara talks a lot about how she utilizes the counseling center at Cambridge. I believe it was to kind of deal with a lot of the trauma and emotional, deeply emotional experiences she had as a child. So I really wanted to kind of touch on her experience with counseling. She said it was successful for her. Um, and kind of think about students in schools around the, uh, everywhere and ask how could students learn about counseling centers because some of them might not know they exist in their schools and then what can schools do to improve their counseling services to students to ensure that they can thrive in the way that we want them to even, d- even despite like social standards we might have for classrooms, et cetera
2: i'm i'm gonna kind of just string right off of what elizabeth was saying before because everything i think that there's just a lot of individual work that okay i i think everybody needs to do their own interpersonal work right and growth and investigation and questioning themselves and i think that within the school system that's even more important because our internal work affects other people very deeply right like our students and so thinking about you know what elizabeth was saying with kids who come from all these different backgrounds and being able to understand how they're interacting with the world that has to be approached from a perspective not of a from a perspective that all everybody's capable of anything it's how they get there that might look different and so you're thinking about counseling services and actually elizabeth touched on this earlier that like kids who are in the midst of trauma that is their life they they don't necessarily we don't always realize we're in trauma when we're in it you know i didn't start going to counseling until i was like 34. and now i am like i will preach from the mountaintops that everybody needs to go to counseling but if a person isn't realized that their situation is impacting them negatively then counseling isn't going to really make a difference right like there has to be a moment of realization and so having an approach that embraces the need for the collective and embraces the need for acceptance i think is going to go a really long way so i know like in the classroom i would talk about like oh when i talked to my counselor and she said you know ask me this silly question and obviously i'm not talking to my sixth graders about like my counseling my therapy sessions but i just throw in there that that's a part of my life right so just kind of normalizing in some sort of way for them to witness can be helpful but also Constantly bringing in this idea when the kids are working together, when you're in, in a classroom setting, that well, of course, you got that wrong. You're just learning this, but you're brave enough to put yourself out there. And now, because you put yourself out there, somebody else in this classroom saw you be brave and be wrong, and that was okay. And now, somebody else can be brave. You know, this idea that we impact each other and just continuing to hold up our students strengths and characteristic traits in a way that they can see goodness in themselves but then also see goodness in others I think I don't know if I'm actually answering the question anymore I'm kind of just on a soapbox but I'm loving the idea of just like get these kids to see witness and experience greatness together
0: yeah I completely agree Elizabeth go ahead yeah Um,
1: so something that i say in nearly every board meeting at least once is that budgets are moral documents and so we hire when we think of a a school and it might have let's say 400 elementary school students elementary students um we will hire so many teachers to work with all of those students because that's just how our practices work right now we know that we want to do everything we can to limit class size so that one teacher is working with no more than some set amount of students. And so when school districts are writing their budgets, this is something uh, you know hiring counselors and other mental health professionals to work with our students. I strongly believe that we need to be thinking about serving our students with mental health services in the same way that we think about serving them with educational with teaching services. So um, we have to understand that um, mental health services are not accessible to a lot of students um, who need them, who need those services the most. Um, So reorganizing our school day and our, you know, how we think about who, what professionals work with our students, um, such that we are prioritizing getting mental health services to every single student, but especially the students who um, are living in very toxic um, conditions that are harming them. Um, I think that's how our schools can meet this need.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I would actually go so far as to also say how we're using those counselors and those mental health professionals because I have seen time and time again, the counselors of the school be used as hall monitors as cafeteria worker you know like like just monitoring lunch and while we need people who are powerful in those roles that is not our counselors jobs our counselors need to be spending their time working with students and seeing our students in a capacity that's helpful and support supporting and not just like on the fringe and oh a kid is having a crisis therefore here comes the counselor but yeah like elizabeth said like all kids having access to that because it is a norm
1: yeah. and not waiting until it's a crisis
0: mm-hmm and then um, kind of going off of what you said Tina uh, having teachers be able to kind of integrate that kind of support in their classrooms also um, I know that teachers also have their own yeah. lives at home too and there's a lot that they have to go through in their own lives so that's really important having to put that smile on their face every day, go into their classroom and teach students. So um, do you think there's anything schools to, could do to also support teachers and provide services to them as well if they need it?
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that, you know, mental health services need to be provided to teachers as as easily as it can be. And I think that, I think shifting the culture from being a certain type of way as a teacher from being able to be human as a teacher or a learner would be critical because I know when I would come in in a bad mood, even if I put a smile on my face, man, the kids feel it. They feel it. They react to me different. But the minute I acknowledge it, and speak to it, if I if I say, and I'm not saying again, I'm not saying like, oh, I'm having a really crappy day kids, leave me alone, be nice to me, you know? But I'm saying like, hey guys, I am really struggling today, so we're gonna just do the best that we can. Or, you know, if I like make a mistake, or if I, if I you know, raise my voice in a way that I don't need to, to a kid being able to say, well, I'm sorry, I'm struggling today and I didn't need to react to you in that way. What I could have done is this, right? Allowing for more human humanity, like real interaction, genuine, I don't know how to say the words, but like that becoming the culture of school and education, I think would be a huge benefit to the teachers.
1: And to add to that, I um, strongly believe that hurt people hurt people. And so when we have our not only our teachers, especially teachers, but also our, you know, um, assistant principals and principals who are going to be um, who who are on the front lines of dealing with students who are having a crisis, who may become, you know, who may be lashing out, who may become violent um, through no fault of their own. It's just a, a natural reaction to what they're experiencing, um, but there must be professionals who can work with, there must be mental health professionals who can work with these education professionals to help them work through that, the trauma that they experience working with these students, um, and also give them the space and the training to be able to just sit down with one another, and like Tina said, be human, like talk through wow, this was a really hard day. This was a really hard week or month. Um, that way, I want to, I want to believe that um, our education professionals, whether they're in the classroom and, or in an administrative role, they're not gonna burn out. They're not going to be carrying this trauma with them to every student. They're gonna be able to heal on their own and um, be more available to help students heal as well.
0: Yeah, I remember actually last year as a first year in college, I had never even as a student thought about my teacher's mental health because schools put so much emphasis on making sure students are taken care of, et cetera, and I was you know on our first day of class my uh my professor she was like well i just want to let you know i also have my own life at home and i will be taking my mental health days when i need them so if i don't answer your email that is why and i was like wow i just sat there and i was like i was so impressed that she had the ability to recognize that and just say that in the beginning um so i feel like definitely more awareness needs to be brought to that of of course but um, in addition to mental health support for students, I know that there are also a lot of other places students can find foundations for support. Going back to the memoir, Tara has a lot of people throughout her entire childhood going into her adulthood as a student that really help her Um Make sense of the world around her and her educational experience. So what kind of people or what kind of organizations and different people do you think could make up that um, support and group of support for students and where do you think students could find them if they're missing in their lives.
1: So I think there are many professionals who are able to provide professional services of some kind. And those are very necessary. Um, But what I wanna speak to is the need for our society to change and allow far more time for communities to be together and whatever that means. So that might mean, you know, um, we do a better job of providing uh, for people's most basic needs so that they don't have to work 16 plus hours a day to, you know, barely cover the bills. If people can work um, a fewer number of hours or a smaller number of hours, but receive the same amount of money, have their basic needs met and be able to use that extra time during the day to talk to one another, to be with their friends, to be with their uh, neighbors, whoever is in their, you know, network of support, their community. Um, I think that will help students. It will help their families. It will help make home a more stable, um, supportive environment, which, you know, if this is happening in every single home, um, I think we will see the benefits of that at a large scale. Um, but I think in order to get there, we have to work very hard as a, um, you know, as a community, um, you know, talking with our city council members, our school board members, our state and federal legislators um, to make sure that we're able to provide for those needs so that communities can be there for one another.
0: One of the biggest things that we have focused on in a lot of the classes that I take about education <laughs> would be partiality and partial knowledges. Um, so talking about Tara and the experience she has with her family, she grows up with many partial knowledges about life that were told to her by them. Um, and then a like for example, she was told that aspirin would kill her and that the government was out to get her family. So, I mean, if any listeners haven't read to the book, those are just some examples. And then her partial knowledge has made it incredibly difficult for her to grasp different events she learned about at BYU, such as the Holocaust, civil rights movement, etc. And she wasn't able to understand both sides of stories. So I know that a lot of educational institutions don't specifically address partial knowledges and that they can appear in classrooms in a, in a ton of different ways. So in your guys's opinion, what can educators do to decrease the amount of partial knowledge introduced to students in the classroom? And then how can more identities be factored into curriculum so that students at a younger
2: age um, don't learn them as frequently? Um, so there's a lot of, you know, work and literature and about um, you know, cultural integration and cultural relevancy in the in, in the schools, you know, in teaching. And um, so there's a lot of different ways that teachers can go at that. And I, I kind of sound maybe like I'm being a broken record right now, but I, I I can't emphasize enough just teachers being willing and open to say things that might feel uncomfortable in a way that demonstrates to kids that there's so many different options. So little tiny things, like if a kid says like, oh, well, somebody did this weird thing where they, and then they say what they did. Just using that as an opportunity to say, oh, that thing that kid did was different. Why was it different? Because it wasn't weird to them. You know what I mean? Like just pointing out little things. And and again, not just, I mean, there's, I feel like it's obvious, but maybe it's not bringing in different perspectives, bringing in different experiences, right? Like when we teach about US history, not just teaching from the white man's perspective, not just teaching from the white woman's perspective, when we talk about the women's rights to vote and the feminist movement, but, but bringing in people from all different backgrounds and their perspectives and their experiences during that time, as well as involved with that time, It just shows right like that there's just so much more going on and I and I definitely think that has to happen but not just that but also allowing a vast array of learning modalities and allowing learners to actually learn rather than perform so it goes back to not just what we're saying but what we're experiencing and allowing our kids to experience in the classrooms and if we allow our kids to only experience one type of learning one type of expressing what you've learned in order to get one type of grade we are modeling to them that there is a right and a wrong way to anything and everything and so when we box kids into this public education system that says all kids of this age have to be performing this task in this kind of a way to get this grade to do this thing right we're really setting them up for the perspective of there is a right way to do things and if I can't do that, then I'm less than, right? The two most smartest people in my life have high school degrees and they are literally the smartest people in my life, but they had to struggle to get through school, through you know, elementary, high school and whatnot, and didn't continue into the college system because it was set up in a way that was not conducive for them, right? And so just understanding that everybody comes at things in a different way and i have got to point out this quote from the book it was towards the end that tara said that was like literally threw me off my chair when she said it and what she said she was talking to her father and her father was trying to get her to like dismiss and, and walk away from the you know college and, and schooling system and come back to them and you know find h- her way back to god and and what he was doing and she said quote everything i had worked for All my years of study had been to purchase for myself this one privilege to see and experience more truths than those given to me by my father, and to use those truths to construct my own mind. I had come to believe that the ability to evaluate my ideas, or excuse me, to evaluate many ideas, many histories, many points of views was at the heart of what it means to self create. And she's talking about her experience from her father, but I also think that that can be applied to our classrooms. And just thinking about the way that we are putting our kids out into the world and allowing them that opportunity.
1: Yeah, I, I think you you hit the nail on the head, Tina. I think it's so important for educators again, to have the time, the time to read, the time to discuss, the time to, you, you have to have the time to be able to reflect back on your own upbringing and what you've learned and to challenge it and say, well, you know, I've, I've lived my whole life and I've learned all these things, but I still know enough to know that I don't know enough. So I think, creating a culture within our schools of having the time to be able to read and reflect and discuss um, and also encouraging educators to be mindful of white supremacy and classism um, along with a whole other mindset. We, especially us uh, white folks, Um, have learned, you know, what we've experienced, what we've grown up with, this is all normal. Mm. And so learning how to maybe our generation, almost certainly our generation cannot permanently change this mindset, but we can help our kids learn how to topple this mindset of learning that there isn't a right and a wrong. There isn't an our way and many wrong ways, but there are many of us, there are many, many right ways of getting somewhere. I I was reminded of a quote um, that one of my best friends uh, has in their office, and it's not from the book, but uh, I think it's very relevant. And the quote is, the best teachers show their students where to look, but not what to see. Um, Mm. I think that's how we can help students and ourselves also get away from partialities.
2: Yeah, that's, and and I would also add to that just the space, you know, along with the time, but also the space to get it wrong, and the willingness to, to get it wrong, and that that's how we learn, and so for teachers to be given the space to get things wrong and talk about what that means and what that looks like. And by get things wrong, I just mean by fumbling and by accepting the fact that we're not going to be perfect. And it doesn't mean I'm a bad person if I say it a certain type of way. It's what I do with that. And then role modeling that for the kids too.
0: Hmm. Agreed. And I know even going into thinking about uh, what I wanted to take away from um, this memoir and what to talk with you both about. Uh, I really kind of, I mean, this is a little more specific to the memoir, but I really struggled to, when like talking about these kind of things um, with the religious aspect of the memoir and how um, I could frame my question so that it wasn't offensive to anyone who might identify as Mormon or with the kind of lifestyle that Tara's family lived. So um since Tara's practiced Mormon religion and based many of their life decisions on their religion, the way that they interpret it for their family, Uh, she really struggled with the fact that her parents didn't want to place her in public education and knew that her voyage to college and so on would be a difficult step to take. And with that being said, um, I know the conversation between homeschooling and public education can be really controversial and tense just due to the different reasons people place their beliefs in. so what in your guys' opinions is a good way to have conversations about that kind of topic without offending parents and communities who are passionate about their perspective, especially concerning religious beliefs and partial knowledges.
2: I think, All right, so I'm just going to say this. I think we need to go back to the baseline of doing what's best for our kids. And everybody thinks that their perspective is the right perspective because that's why it's their perspective, right? Like I think this is the right way to do for all kids and somebody else thinks that a different way is the right way to do for all kids. And so it gets really tricky because I don't I don't think you can have the conversation without offending anyone. And I think that the conver- and I think the focus needs to not be so much on not offending but being sincere and and leading with loving kindness and leading with acceptance. And so always trying to do our best in having these conversations in a way that is not again we're not focusing on what we don't agree with but rather focusing on what our objective is and the objective is to do what's best for kids and i think that along the way we are going to run into so many people who disagree and feel offended but we're also going to run into different people from all backgrounds who are willing to see past their perspectives for a greater good Right, And so I think that when we start categorizing people, I think it's important to understand where people come from. But when we start assuming that all, like if I assume all Mormons are gonna be offended because of the way I say something about this book, then I'm actually reverting backwards and I'm not being willing to, I'm showing that I don't have faith in people to be able to see beyond themselves. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, I, I think offending is going to happen. And I think that it's more important to be kind and to be accepting and understanding, but also being willing to say what you believe and to stand in that and to work for that because I think if everybody from any background were to do that, genuinely, we would all be fighting the same fight. We would all be working towards the same goal and people who are offended by that would be on the, that would be on the fringe because the focus is more on them than the greater perhaps, which maybe that was offensive, but (laughs) that's what I got.
1: If I had a solution or even an idea of the solution to this problem, um, I think I could want for nothing more. Um, So I don't have the solution. i'll i'll start off by saying that um, I, I did a little bit of research into this exact um topic within my own extended family um so i grew up in a somewhat fundamentalist home nothing nearly as bad as what um tara westover grew up in um and so while i was you know i grew up in a conservative home and you know my my parents meant well but sometimes i heard racial slurs and you know stereotypes thrown around and so something that helped me is that you know i went to school and unfortunately sometimes repeated some of the things that i heard from home and i had you know, I had to learn from my peers, sometimes in like a positive, gentle way, and, and sometimes in a really painful way. Sometimes I was ostracized for the things that I said that I learned from home. Um, but I learned from my peers and my teachers what was okay and what was not okay to say. And that, while it took a very long time, um, this constant reminder that hey, everything I'm hearing at home is not always correct. Why is this? Over a very long period of time, I was able to grow up and learn, oh my goodness, that's not who I want to be. That's not what I believe. But I kind of understand where those beliefs came from in my home. Now, um, within my extended family, there is another household um, where my cousins grew up and um, they are very fundamentalist. Again, still not nearly as strict and fundamentalist and isolated um, as the Westovers were. Um, But these cousins of mine um, alternated between, you know, going to a very small private Baptist school growing up and being homeschooled. And this is really interesting and I think relevant because, um, my grandfather, so this is the father to both my mom and um, the mother of my cousins, he uh, grew up during the Great Depression. He was very poor, grew up on a farm, um, but education, public education specifically, was so important to him. Um, he, you know, after he returned from the war, he went to college and earned a bachelor's, master's, and finally um, a PhD in ag education. Um, he was passionate about Um, education for students who um, lived in farming towns, who lived in rural communities. So how was it that one daughter, you know, raised her child to, you know, I always went through public, or I went through public school, K through 12, actually K through college. Um, Public education was something that was treasured in my very small household, um, even though we still leaned You know somewhat conservative no fairly conservative we leaned fairly conservative somewhat fundamentalist um, versus my cousin's household Um, it was something that bothered my grandpa a lot um, that his you know nieces and nephew did not go to public school that there was this lack of trust Um, and so you know i went down one path and my cousins went down a very different path Um, But when I think about what what was the difference between our households, what was the difference between what we learned, Um, and how can this be applied more broadly, I think that first we acknowledge that we live in a time where people are really scared. Uh, There's a lot of fear and a lot of distrust. We don't all share a common truth anymore. What I might see... um, on the news. Other people might say that's fake news, that's, that's not true. So we have to acknowledge this fear. And from that, we have to start developing trust in these systems because there really was a time. And I think maybe we still are in that time where people who are really fundamentalist um, still had some faith in, um, in schooling, in, edu- in formal institutionalized education. Um, and then focusing on student and family engagement, which is part of developing that trust, talking with each other. A, a common theme in this conversation is being human and having those conversations with each other. Um, I, I, I think that can be how we can steer the ship as it were toward, um, developing better trust in education and hopefully reaching these students better so that they have um, a better outcome as an adult. They can realize, okay, maybe what I heard at home isn't true. Maybe what I've grown up <clears throat> assuming is fact, um, isn't necessarily fact. Giving uh, kids and families a space to figure that out um, with trusted you know, role models in the classroom, I think is how we get there over a very long period of time.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of that, um, both of your responses have a lot to do with the idea of brave space and just establishing um, from the beginning for people that it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to go through experiences like that. But the most important thing is talking about it because regardless of whether you, I don't wanna say, regardless of whether you offend or say something, someone might take the wrong way, you're still getting your ideas out there and you can either be corrected or you can make an impact on someone else's opinion and thoughts on something that they may not have thought before. So thinking about brave space, I don't know if, I'm sure both of you are familiar with the concept. Um, How do you think that can be used um, and where and, and at what point of a child's educational experience do you think talking about brave spaces is most important?
2: So, when I one of the things I learned actually in counseling um, was separating reality, one's own truth, one's own truth with judgments right? Because when I started looking at my family of origin, it was really hard for me to accept that there was trauma and adversity because to me at at first, that meant that I was saying my mom was a bad mom or my dad was a bad dad or, you know, whatever. And I don't believe that they were, right? And so it took me a long time. And finally, it was the separation between my truth and judgment that really helped me piece that apart. And I started bringing this into the classroom with my sixth graders pretty early on, like within the first week or two. And I would tell them that a lot of the times we're gonna talk about stuff that feel uncomfortable or scary or, you know, make us think a certain way. And I would encourage and and help them practice separating people's truths from a judgment. And I would say, you know, this judgment is real and and it's there. And you know, that's okay. But we're just gonna put that over here on this table for now, because that's not part of this conversation. The conversation is really just about the reality for people. And so coming at it because so often, especially in the society, accountability often just leads to like judgment and defiance, right? And so if we can start separating that to create the brave space, all of a sudden I have sixth graders who are raising their hands saying things like, Okay, then, why is it that all black people do such and such and in that moment you've got a little white kid who's saying. saying, Okay, so we've just had this conversation we're going to talk brave and they say that the first thing that we talk about is how he presented the question and where that question comes from and why he has the perspective that all black people are you know any whatever they're talking about has a certain way and breaking it down and as the teacher being very um oh god what's the word like uh being very point blank like deadpan kind of right like i mean i'm i can never be deadpan because i'm super off the walls but like you know just being like okay good question that could have been really offensive to some people and you know let's talk about where that question comes from but really i don't know i think i'm kind of babbling but this idea of like separating judgments and putting it aside and just acknowledging the fact that just because we experienced something doesn't mean that other person was bad that doesn't excuse it it doesn't make it okay right i was just talking to my husband about the racial slurs growing up in my family and the things my mother explained to me as being matter of fact using racial slurs. Oh, that's just another word for, you know, people and and all these things. And I look back on that like mortified, but I can understand that my mother was genuinely coming from a complete place of ignorance regarding any of the, the nuances. Right now, was it okay that she did that? I don't think that that was okay at all. I think that it needs to be addressed. It needs to be shifted. But I'm also gonna approach that not as she's a bad, terrible person, but here's the impact of her action. And that's what we need to talk about. And if people can get over either judging others or feeling judged by others, I think we can start having those brave spaces more just widespread. Also making sure not to do that in a in a way that allows or softens the conversation, right? Because it would be very important not to say like, oh, she just didn't know any better. It's okay. No, like we have to have the real conversation of the raw effects um, Mm -hmm. while separating it. And I think that that's kind of a tricky thing. And when we start talking about that, people get concerned that it's going to get too you know, soft, like this idea of white fragility, you know, like, oh, I'm, I, I just, I didn't know. It's like, okay, okay, okay. We're not talking about you right now. We're talking about your actions, how, where they come from, and what they, the effect that they have.
0: Completely. I it makes complete sense. Um, so to kind of wrap everything up, we've talked about a lot of important things today from the book, from the memoir and Tara's experience, because it is a memoir, so it's her real life experience It happened. Um, What is the most important thing to you that you took away? It doesn't necessarily have to be about education, but um, from the memoir.
2: It's very
1: hard for me to choose just one big takeaway, but, like we've um like we've all spoken to in this conversation today, I think, and I don't know exactly how to describe this, but I think that when we people in general, when we talk about trauma, we tend to to put it in a box and we distance ourselves from it without recognizing that we ourselves may very well have gone through a trauma um and that other people may have other people in our lives may have gone through that trauma. Um, People close to us may have gone through some horrible things, like um, Tara did, and and yet we're all still here. We're all still part of this society. Um, nobody is disposable. We need everybody here, and everybody has something to contribute. Um, even if we find some of their, you know, comments and beliefs awful, um, we all have to figure out how to get through reality together. And I think part of that is, yeah, suspending judgment and learning how to separate our judgment from, you know, objective reality in front of us. Um, I think the more we can humanize adversity and trauma and surviving it and thriving despite it, we don't tend to recognize that we are going through an adversity, that we're going through a trauma when we're in the moment. It's usually afterwards when we understand how other people describe what we went through, that we recognize, wow, that was that, that was an awful thing that I lived through. I think I think we can start recognizing, you know, people in our lives that we might first write off as being someone like Tara Westover, someone who has, survived something awful and they have something really powerful that they can share um, or their goals, which may sound lofty and impossible to us, um, if we recognize, yeah, but if they survived this awful thing, maybe it is possible. In fact, it's definitely possible for them to still be able to take the ACT and teach themselves all the trigonometry and you know, do well on the ACT and get into college. And you know, some people just need a chance and maybe they need multiple chances um, to be able to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Um, but we need to be able to see that within each other. And I think our society right now isn't quite designed that way. Um, we do tend to cancel people and write them off for one reason or another but Tara's story has reminded me to look for that humanity in everyone and figure out ways that we can make education and mental health services and everything else that students can um, receive at school, make that more accessible to every single child.
2: I'm not sure I want to follow that. <laughs> you touched my heart in so many ways when you just said that. Um and so i guess my my bigger my biggest takeaway i guess is kind of in a different direction and it goes back to balance and just remembering and recognizing and allowing for balance all the time it's so easy to get out of balance and this book especially thinking about it in the way that you're coming at this Mackenzie, from you know schooling and education perspective when I first read this book that wasn't my big focus like I actually when I went back to listen to the book again I had to just listen to the end of it because to me it was much more about like her story and just all of that and when I took that perspective of schooling and education it shifted a lot of takeaways for me and because I really, even though I've been a public school teacher for many years and involved in public education, I feel very cynical and tainted right now, you know, towards the public education system. And I have what I think are very valid reasons for that. But I also need to remember the balance and that just because I have certain feelings and, and needs that aren't being met necessarily doesn't mean that it is a bad thing. Right. Like I need to remember to take out the judgment and look at the situation and how it's serving other people and how you know how it can be better and and take that perspective of what I'm looking for, rather than what I'm upset with or against or frustrated with right to keep me moving forward and and what the Westover family didn't have was balance. Right. And so this idea of like not sending your kids to public education to public school because you feel a certain sort of way, I think that's fine. If if your family feels that way, that's totally okay. But like where's the balance for them? They tipped the balance when they were like putting their kids in harm's way and neglect like physically and emotionally, mentally and neglectful versus supplementing something, you know, with balance. Um, I love chakra energy work, aromatherapy, I am all over natural holistic healing approaches. Um, And at first when they were talking like about Tara's mom and her approach and making her seem very much like kind of a whack job with all that stuff, I was really kind of angry at first because I was like, wait a second, that stuff's really valuable. And I had to, you know, step back and think, yeah, it is but with her mother it was out of balance right there wasn't the balance that's necessary to create Uh, i don't know what it is that we're trying to create but but when it tipped out of balance that's where the trauma came from for tara that's where the you know the neglect became inserted and so i can still like all that holistic healing stuff it doesn't mean i'm a crazy whack job like tara's mom was being you know made out to be I have balance and so i don't know i just think balanced (laughs) that's all i got
0: (laughs) no yeah that this book made me think of a lot of things and the way that you were talking about it i originally did not read it through an education focused lens and then the second time it was just like hmm this 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 all these things popping up as i was listening to it again i was like i just would never have thought about it this way Uh, And I'm very appreciative of all of the different things that we've talked about today. And I really want to thank you both for taking all the time that you have to come and talk to me and look at everything um, and offer your ideas and personal experiences. So thinking of Thanksgiving, I'm very thankful for that and appreciative for you guys coming and talking with me today.
1: Thank you. And thank you for... um, creating a space to challenge these things. Um, it's a, it's, I, I think we will eventually get there as a society. Um, the growth and the change is very, sm- is very um, slow and it can feel like we'll never get there. But um, the more people are able to talk about these things and listen and consider that maybe they have something to learn too, um, I, I think we'll get there. So thank you for everything that you're doing in your life to make that happen.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Mackenzie. Not only was this just a fun and cool experience, but like I actually learned a lot of things about my own perspectives going back to this book with your perspective, the, the perspective of education and schooling. So this was doubly effective and beneficial, I guess.
0: I want to give a special thank you to Tina and Elizabeth for offering their insight on issues and experiences they've encountered throughout their personal and professional lives. I think I can speak for all three of us when I say that Educated is such an amazing, insightful memoir to read with any perspective in mind. Additionally, just like any other episode, I'd love to hear your feedback or personal experience with the content that we talked about today. So to reach me, you can go to anchor.fm/mckenzie Stevens to leave me a voice message. and you can find me also on paperback with Mac on Instagram. Leave me a message and we can get some conversation started. I look forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you all for listening to another episode and I hope that after listening to Tina, Elizabeth and I, you might be inspired to reread or pick up Educated and read it through a fresh lens. If you liked today's episode, like, subscribe, or leave a review wherever you're listening to let me know what type of content you'd like to see in the future. Another one of my goals for creating Paperback with Mac was to raise awareness about the different issues and experiences we all have in different aspects of our lives. So if there's anyone out there you know who might be interested or can benefit from the content of this episode, please, please share it with them. I'd love for these books and discussions to inspire and reach as many people as possible. All right, well, I can't wait to talk with you all soon, and I look forward to sharing episode three to continue co-creating knowledge together.